how do you even describe where we're at right now? I mean, things are open. There's plenty of planes in the sky. In-person meetings and networking sessions are all pumping again. In health and medicine, we've got a lot more resources now in terms of COVID testing and prevention and vaccinations and treatment. Do you say we're all in the clear? Are we on the other side? Do we run with this whole new world narrative? Or do we not get too far ahead of ourselves? I feel like the right answer to all of those questions is somewhere on that scale between it depends and I don't know. As many people have already pointed out, even though we're allowed to sing and dance in public now and eat a meal standing up if we want, the health implications of COVID are far from over. Case numbers are still really high, new variants continue to emerge, and the implication of people delaying their routine health screening during COVID are starting to emerge, and will for many years. And what about this thing called long COVID? What's that all about? So I figure it pays for us to stop and reflect for a second. With COVID, where are we at, where are we going, and what should we do about it? And joining me in that reflection today is Dr. Valerio Vitone. And in this episode, we're going to take a look at long COVID through the lens of integrative health and the correlations between inflammation and COVID symptoms and what role epigenetics and molecular medicine could play in helping fight long COVID. Collaboration starts with a conversation, Team Health Tech. Let's make it happen. Welcome to Talking Health Tech, a podcast and membership community about technology in healthcare. Here's your host, Peter Birch. With me today is Dr. Valerio Vitone. He's a THT Plus member and an Australian molecular biologist with a keen interest in precision medicine, epigenetics, and nutrigenomics. Dr. Vitone has a PhD in medicine and is a genetic counsellor where he helps patients learn about their DNA, microbiome, and nutrigenetic reports. He's featured recently on the Talking Health Tech podcast, episode 168, about epigenetics, and he also moderated a panel session at our spring summit last year on genomics and connectomics. Hey, Valerio, how are you? Hello, Pete. How are you? Great to hear your voice again, mate. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Always a pleasure to chat with you. Ah, likewise. It's always good fun with you. (laughs) (laughs) I'll tell you what, I I need to be well caffeinated and well rested prior to a discussion (laughs) with you for some of the big words that get thrown around from time to time. But what I like is you're able to put it in context too. So look, I, I set the scene a little bit at the start there. We're really in this conversation today, whilst we could talk about a lot of things, we're looking at COVID specifically. So I was hoping you could set the scene and talk to me about COVID, the virus, and this, how it then ties into some of these points around long COVID that we'll be discussing. Yeah, you're right, Pete. And uh, the coronavirus disease is emerging as the most significant and consequential public health crisis in the first half of our century. And now, sadly, as you mentioned a bit earlier, we entered the phase in which the medium and long-term consequences affecting our health are starting to emerge. So let's dive what COVID is first, and then let's see what we might end up with. So structurally, COVID has an outer layer, which we call the envelope, which protects the single-stranded positive sense RNA of the virus. And then the virus is able to enter the cell via these receptors that we call angiotensin-converted enzyme 2 receptors, in short, ACE2. Oh, that's what I said. Okay, cool. That's what that is. Okay. <laughs> that's what it means. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> ah. 
However, and this is probably haven't heard of this, however, the, the virus is able to interact with several other receptors, which are also involved in the long COVID and inflammatory symptoms that uh, many of us are experiencing. And we'll deep dive into this a bit later on. Also, COVID can activate mast cells that are found in the respiratory tract in the initial stage of the infection. And although mast cells activation can be helpful in fighting the infection, extensive mast cell activation leads to the release of inflammatory cytokines and chemokines, which further worsen the inflammation and increase the severity and likelihood of mortality from COVID. And this is the reason why antihistamines are often given during COVID infection because mast cells release histamines to improve symptoms like hives, sinus congestion, or headaches. And what is important to know about COVID-19 is that although it primarily affects the respiratory system, it's also able to affect other organs, including the brain. And this is the bad news in terms of long COVID. It is not just the lungs. So another point that is important to notice is that a, a critical cause of morbidity and mortality in COVID-19 patients arise from an exaggerated immune response resulting in a very high inflammation in the body that is generated by what we call a cytokine storm. And you might have heard this term. Cytokines, just to put it into context, are signaling molecules that elements of the immune system make fight the infection. What is also important to notice here is that the cytokine storm and this overall prolonged inflammatory event may result in a much greater mortality than the direct initial viral infection in itself. So in other words, the collateral damage caused by the cytokine bombardment, a bit like in a war, can cause a lot of different issues and causing more casualties in this war occurring in our bodies between two armies, on one side the immune system and on the other side the virus. And this is not new. Because even from an historical perspective, the cytokine storm that in previous time was referred to as influenza-like syndrome was prominent also with other dangerous and lethal pathogens, including the plague. So hundreds of back. So there is no surprise that different cytokine storms have led to major devastating consequences during pandemics in the past, such as the infamous Black Death hundreds and hundreds of in the Middle Ages. <laughs> Indeed, an exaggerated immune response was suspected to contribute to a huge number of deaths, even during the Spanish flu in 2018. So a history keep repeating itself. So how do we deal with this? What's happening now? Well, the situation is not great. In the US last week, the coronavirus subvariant known as BH5 accounted for nearly 54% of the country's COVID cases as of Saturday. And according to the CDC, a similar subvariant called BA4 makes up for the remaining 70% of the COVID cases. The problem is these two subvariants also appear to evade protection from vaccines and previous infections more easily than most of their predecessors. And um, this brilliant scientist, David Montefiore, professor and expert at the Human Vaccine Institute at Duke University Medical Center, recently estimated that BA4 and BA5 are about three times less sensitive to neutralizing antibodies 
from existing COVID vaccines than the original version of Omicron. Other research suggests even worse figures, like four times more resistant to antibodies from the vaccine, the BA2. So this is the negative part. There is a positive part, a sort of little silver lining here. Symptoms are not becoming more severe. So for instance, in the UK, where BA4 and BA5 also accounts for the majority of the cases, it has been reported that most common COVID symptoms were runny nose, sore throat, headache, persistent cough, fatigue, and inflammation. However, these symptoms are also symptoms manifesting in long COVID symptoms. And this is the tricky part here, that now we are looking at symptoms that they are lower, like they don't make you die straight away, but then they have a repercussion on your health later on. Also concerning that although the FDA estimates that Omicron-specific boosters from Pfizer and Moderna will become available early to mid-fall in the U.S., experts agree, and including myself, say that there is no guarantee they will work effectively because the viruses keep mutating. And uh, Francoise Bellot, the director of University College London Genetic Institute, recently has said, and is an expert, that it's hard to predict whether BA5 will still be dominant later this year, which is a big hint. So what else is going to emerge? We don't know. So the situation is far from resolved, and we should expect not just to have a long pandemic, but now also, and I have to say, with a sense of irony and long COVID symptom apocalypse. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of just it's a bit dramatic, but no, I know, I know what you mean in terms of the, the ongoing implications. So keen to learn a bit more than long COVID, you know, we, we're going back to normal now, Valerio, like don't scare yeah. me too much here. Like the, you know, we're not going to drag this out for years and years. So where did it come from? How does it start? You touched on it a little bit there, but like a lot of people talk about living with COVID and we yeah. just, it's just here now. It sounds like a cold, but it sounds like it's this sustained thing that's going to keep going. Talk to me more about it. Yeah. So as we all know, millions of people recovered from COVID-19 in the middle of this global pandemic, and that's absolutely fine. So Good news, we passed on, we are not dying at the hospital, <laughs> which is great. And we went back to our normal lives. However, what we might not know is that around 30%, and in some studies, we have even higher numbers, continue to report persistent symptoms after infection. Commonly reported symptoms range from fatigue that can lead to even chronic fatigue syndrome, dysphenia which in medical terms means difficulty in breathing during normal everyday life circumstances like walking or running, to brain fog, and asnomia, which again, in medical terms, is the partial full loss of smell. So different investigators now are starting to set up criteria to diagnose long COVID also time-wise. For example, if symptoms last four or more weeks after COVID-19 infection, then we should start potentially flag a patient with post-COVID condition or long COVID. And, you know, this is quite a little bit worrisome that also recent studies have confirmed that some of these symptoms have been persistent for over two years now and ongoing. So there have been patients that have been catching coming back at the beginning of the pandemic and having this never got better. 
Furthermore, which is very concerning in my opinion, long COVID symptoms also affect children, including those who had asymptomatic COVID-19. So they don't even know. And they're starting to have things like brain fog. They start performing at school. And this is systematically, like we, we see so much of this emerging, not just in our clinic, but, you know, in terms of research, in terms of our specialists um, that they are talking to us in our groups, international researchers. So it's a global phenomenon. These symptoms, as we said, include fatigue, myalgia, some muscle pain, including ligaments, cognitive impairment, headache, palpitation, chest pain, and the list goes on. And these symptoms often last for at least six months. So as we mentioned earlier, the underlying cytokine storm caused by COVID also negatively affects a multitude of other comorbidities in different organs and tissues. One of the most significant ones is the brain, which leads to sleep disturbances, cognitive disturbances, we said, headache, brain inflammation, and so on. Also, the lungs are affecting more long-term, not just with that sort of really bad, you know, inflammatory response that could kill you at the hospital initially, but we are monitoring patients. We are looking at things like reduced exercise capacity. So when you start training, you're performing less well. You've got dyspnea, which is shortness of breath, worsening of symptoms with diabetes. Even patients with no diabetes, they are starting to be newly diagnosed with diabetes after COVID infections, worsening of kidney functions. When it comes to the heart, we've got arrhythmias, tachycardia, autonomic dysfunction, chest pain. And of course, the sign of increase of degenerative inflammatory health problems, such as rheumatoid arthritis, Crohn's disease, and gastrointestinal issues like IBS, IBD. And you might ask yourself, but why higher inflammation is correlated to so many issues with COVID? For a start, an inflammatory response that is too high causes damage. And here I'm talking cellular damage with an associated increase in oxidative stress that ultimately contributes to mitochondrial dysfunction. And when the mitochondria gets damaged or start to malfunction, then brain fogs emerge and cognitive impairment also emerge and then chronic fatigue syndrome start to ensues and the list goes on. So now we might ask why are inflammation and how to deal with long COVID literally for the long haul? <laughs> yeah. Well, this is what I'm going to say. Like I'm thinking, you know, there's in putting it in that bucket, calling it long COVID, it's something that we'd need a raft of clinicians or specialists or people who kind of focus on this area. Do we have specialists in long COVID that you know of? <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, it's funny because I guess in every transition of human history, especially when it's concomitant with an event like this that happens every hundred years, then there is a transition period. <laughs> in which even, you know, ourselves have to adapt to, you know, do new things and the medical and scientific community, you know, reinventing yourself almost, but not so much reinventing, I should say, probably is more adapting what we already know in our field of science or medicine and adapting it to the COVID. I mean, I see a lot of specialists in our groups, like from cardiologists, gastroenterologists, hematologists, immunologists, 
that they are all over this because everyone is having patients that they are showing some of these symptoms. So the quick answer, I guess, is that some of the people, and I'll mention a couple later on in this discussion, that they are involved in the research for inflammation in COVID. They also assist in those patients that they are evolving into long COVID. And different scientists and doctors are using different strategies to counteract this inflammatory state caused by COVID or to disable COVID altogether. And I have a beautiful example. One of my good friends and wonderful scientists is an American scientist. Scientists have been highly recognized for some of the type of RNA that he discovered in the past about a decade ago, Professor Kevin Morris, that is currently working at Griffith University. And as I said, Kevin is a good friend, but we became friends because we really share the same kinship in terms of molecular science and how it affects human health. And Kevin and his team, they are working on developing what they call exosome nanoparticles derived from neural stem cells. They are able to deliver anti-SARS RNA to the brain. And to put it in simple terms, the short sequences of RNA, that are in a sort of liposomal capsule, they are able to be selectively delivered to the brain in lungs and then suppress COVID-19. They are also able to suppress inflammation in brain and lungs. And of course now, Everything is at the very beginning, obviously, because we haven't had COVID for long. So hopefully now these experiments will proceed to human trials and we'll be able to later on to add these magic bullets that they are able to stop COVID and these inflammatory responses in also in long COVID. And also what I found so fascinating that, you know, Professor Morris is also working on oral formulations to deliver these exosome nanoparticles. So in other words, you have these vectors that they are at nanoscopic level that you're going to spray them in your nose or in your mouth, and they're able to deliver these very selective RNA sequences to suppress the COVID-19 and eventually suppress inflammation in the brain, lungs, and other tissues. So this is sort of the cutting edge biotechnology that this type of expertise now is morphing into. And then there are other scientists, and this is another good friend and colleague that I often, we often share science and papers. It's a professor, Peter Smith, that also works at Griffin University. And uh, Peter is studying the behavior of mast cells. And you may have mentioned mast cells for muscle cell activation syndrome and the histamine response that they elicit in COVID infection. And Peter and his team are attempting to, to understand muscle cell activation and decrease activation. And there are some drugs like famotidine or LDN, lodosin, artroxone that now are being trialed, but also studying how to influence in some of the receptors that the COVID-19 is interacting with. You remember that earlier on during our discussion before we said that COVID could interact with ACE2 and other receptors. Well, some of these other receptors are called toll-like receptors, TLRs, and they've got different numbers, TLR3, 4, 2, and so on. So what is important is that these receptors are critical contributors to signal the body to activate what we call nuclear effect of kappa beta in the inflammasome. 
and other inflammatory signal that escalate inflammation with the so-called cytokine storm, the inflammation apocalypse. <laughs> so, <this. laughs> so like, I like to call it. But what is interesting is that research has also found that these receptors are involved in the progression of several comorbidities associated to long COVID. For instance, the TLR2 receptor is involved in rheumatoid arthritis, atherosclerosis, diabetes, and so on. So you can sort of guess yourself that you can see that the COVID is able to interact with many different receptors, activating things that shouldn't, that then they cause these inflammatory issues at systemic level that they might escalate your existing problems like rheumatoid arthritis or even atherosclerosis, multiple sclerosis. I mean, and this is why it's a really open question with all the things that COVID has been doing that we were not aware of initially. We also briefly mentioned before the mast cells are involved in many immune reactions and diseases through the expression of several receptors involved in the inflammatory response. Mast cells also produce histamines, and we mentioned before the common allergies, but also they produce cytokines and chemokines. So again, the cytokine store, and also are able to direct cross-talk to other elements of the immune system. So once COVID activates one, then this activated messaging goes and talks to everyone, we escalate things even further. And besides allergic diseases like the common allergies to pollen or food that we are all familiar with, and that's why we use antihistamine that help us with hay fever or to carry our hives. Mast cells also have been connected to autoimmune diseases again such as rheumatoid arthritis, multiple sclerosis. In addition to this, several studies reported the involvement of mast cells in collagen diseases. And there is this wonderful review from Mikita and colleagues in 2017 that reviewed recent findings about the role of mast cells, especially with lupus and systemic sclerosis. So they found that in these diseases, mast cells seems to be involved in local inflammation and tissue damage that include production of autoantibodies. So, you know, all these effects, they are not just affecting one inflammatory problem. They are affecting several. And that's why long COVID is so diverse, if you like, in the manifestations, in terms of manifestation and their um, different health problems. So we're also doing our part in our clinic. So in our long COVID project, and here I'm working together with a wonderful investigative doctor with over 30 years of clinical experience in muscle activation syndrome, POTS, and other chronic conditions associated with that. And I'm talking about Dr. Graham Exapy that is also the co-owner of the Mermaid Clinic that, yeah, that we are seeing patients together. So myself and Graham, we use a strategy to mitigate the action of these TLR receptors that I mentioned before. With a sort of holistic approach, combining the genetic analysis of thousands or even millions now with artificial intelligence of different gene variants associated to inflammatory genes that COVID activates during the cytokine storm. And then we use dietary and lifestyle and supplementation 
type of intervention, those patients that have the predisposition to have a higher inflammation during long COVID events. So you're looking at their DNA, if you see some major red flags, and then you, you look at the medical history and what they are currently experiencing, then we have, you know, many different type of interventions beyond the drugs that they can really make a difference. And just to give you an example, we use supplementation called dried liposomal particles. So you're probably often, you know, you often know, or you often said in ads about liposomal delivery in the pharmaceutical or even in the cosmetic industry. So liposomes, they improve bioavailability when you're taking a molecule either through skin or through your gut. But these new particles, they've been dried out. And it appears that they are six times more bioavailable than liquid liposome. And then we can introduce molecules inside these uh, dried liposomal particles like quercetin, berberine, physentin, and spermidine. These are all very new. Uh, well, some are not new, but they are being used now in this context, and it's fairly new, that can help to activate molecular signals that are down-regulating inflammation systemically. So, you know, you use drugs to down-regulate inflammation, but you can also use these very natural and potent molecules to achieve the same goal without side effects. And one of these molecules that is down that is increased at this anti-inflammatory molecule is called AMPK. And just to give you some context, an idea of this is that AMPK is a major anti-inflammatory signal in the body. And indeed, during evolution, we've been equipped with this type of signal as a safety system that use major low energy signals like AMPK that I just mentioned to de-escalate inflammation. So when inflammation goes too high, you've got these molecules and they are bringing it back to a normal level that what it should be. You know, and if it doesn't happen, then inflammation goes over the top. That would otherwise lead to this sort of, you know, nuclear war, or the cytokine storm, as we mentioned. So the safety system is involved in modulating different things that have been there for thousands of years, modulating attacks. So modulating, you know, attacks from pathogens, optimizing energy production, even mitochondria biogenesis and clearance which we call autophagy and mitophagy, and what is it? It's the way the body gets rid of senescent cells, or dead cells, or old cells, or damaged cells, even malignant cells, when we need to get rid of them because they might cause troubles, or we just need to replace them with new cells that they are actually working in our advantage. So they also regulate performance, so the ability, let's say, to move or escape a predator like a lion if we're living in a natural environment, or maintaining body homeostasis, so temperature, pressure, and so on. So no wonder that this safety system has been used for hundreds of thousands of years to mitigate countless adverse or non-favorable environmental conditions and stresses, including epigenetic stresses. So Different species that use, including ours, have been exposed to this for at least 3 billion years. So they're extremely concerned. And this is why they work so well. So 
Generally, genetics, we say that if a molecule or a gene is highly conserved in many different organisms, its functionality is extremely well adapted for obvious reasons, because it's been through 3 billion years of evolution. So organism has used it with a selective advantage. So from a therapeutic perspective, we can then influence these signals indirectly to fight invasions like COVID-19 by de-escalating this inflammatory response, a bit like we're using drugs. And so we are using a combination, as I said, with this holistic approach and using these supplements, also intermittent fasting and dietary changes is able to you know, activate them in a different form. So you put together a different type of signal in advance in order to de-escalate all these other deleterious bad inflammatory events that COVID or existing comorbidities like diabetes, like rheumatoid arthritis, which we already have, already, you know, detrimentally for us, they are doing together with the COVID. So in, in other words, we are mirroring back what the COVID is. It's trying to throw at us. I find it interesting too, the fact that, you know, you're dealing with this on a day to day with your own patients and, and with your own background in terms of epigenetics and molecular medicine. It's something that, you know, being able to, I guess, looking from a DNA perspective and a genetics side of things, looking at that more holistic approach to dealing with something over a longer period of time, because we can't continue to you know, the, the long-term sustainable solution isn't continue to medicate because that's a, a slippery slope. There's certainly times and places for medication, but there's a lot to do on a day-to-day that we all can be doing to look at just, you know, lifestyle changes and being able to take a view into what's actually happening at a molecular level and then influence that through some other ways. It's a fascinating look at what's going to be a really, you know, big issue over a long period of time. Yeah, yeah I mean, like the absolute spot on. And, uh, and- well, the beauty of this is that some of these signals, although they are natural, if you like, so they are not drugs made in the lab, but by all means, the first drugs that we ever invented, like things like antibiotics and so forth, they are natural products. <laughs> so, so we've always been mimicking nature to try to find more answers and cure disease. It's just the molecular way in which now we're able to, you know, to influence these pathways is much more subtle with less side effects. And this is why I was talking about these molecules like AMPK, they're highly concerned that they are more safe. Whereas when you're creating a new drug from scratch, it's a big question mark. I mean, <laughs> is it, maybe it's been around for a few years here in the clinical trials, but these things, they're very safe, long-term molecules that the human body evolved with. So yeah, it, it has a definitely a place in our type of intervention. And as you said, not to be medicated constantly. I mean, although medication can help initially, but uh, yeah, longer period of time. The long COVID together with the long treatment. (laughs) So to speak. (laughs) That's long. Uh, And lastly, Valeria, you know, we've taken a bit of a deep dive into this topic right now, but we're also going to be exploring it with a few other people at the upcoming Talking Health Tech Winter Summit on the 11th of August. Is there anything you're expecting to come out of that session or what excites you about being able to speak about this more at the summit? Well, I guess what excites me is that, uh, as I mentioned before, some of the people involved, both in the research and also treating the patients. And during the summit, we will 
deep dive more in each one of these elements, like let's say muscle activation and histamines, what type of patients are coming up. So I think from an audience perspective, it would be very interesting because uh, they would say, well, wait a second, I have that and there is something available that I can do now to actually counteract that with sound scientific and medical advice. And that excites me because the speakers that we're going to have, uh, that they'll be moderated, they're all extremely well accomplished medically and scientifically. So yeah, it'll be an interesting section exploring all those elements that we briefly introduced here today that the long COVID is bringing into our lives in the next decade. So yeah, it'll be fascinating, exciting. Absolutely looking forward to it. And look, we'll put the details in the show notes of this episode. THT Plus members can attend the summit as part of their membership. If not, you can get a ticket on our website. The article for this conversation is going to be a fun one to write, Valeria, but it always is. And it'll be a, a very useful resource for many. So looking forward to sharing this with everybody on the podcast and then at the summit. Always a pleasure, Valerio. Thank you so much for your time. Uh, likewise, it's always been good to have a chat with you, Peter. It's extremely nice to have a platform that covers this topic like the one that you do it right well. Love it. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Talking Health Tech. Make sure you subscribe on your favorite podcast player. And for more information, visit talkinghealthtech.com. <laughs>